from grain to glass. This show is dedicated to helping you make the best beer possible. So strap in and hold on to your mash tons. We're Homebrew Pat. I'm Casey. And I'm Miles. And welcome to Homebrew Bound, the best beer show on the internet. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It is absolutely delightful. So, how you been, Miles? We missed last week, so uh, let's get a yeah. little recap here. Well, we tried to get together. That didn't pan out too well. Yeah. Because life. Life happens, man. It intervenes and it doesn't let you have a choice in the No, thing. it really doesn't. It's kind of a jerk that way. Yeah, uh, I haven't been doing... Too awful much, except combinations of staying up late and trying to have a social life. I understand that. And just kind of with my work schedule, my social life is either at like 8 in the morning or at 2 in the morning. Those are both odd times. Then again, here's an 8 in the morning. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, 9, but well, close nine. enough. Close enough. So... Um, yeah. yeah. What have you been up to? Uh, well, I just spent a few days, three of them, uh, on Madeline Island, uh, up north. So, oh, very nice. Yeah. So that was, that was a blast. Did uh, you have anything to drink? And, yeah. Oh, I drank so much beer. So much. And we had fires on the beach every night and it was just, it was gorgeous. Great time. That's that's the sort of thing I like to hear. Yeah. So any brewing take place? Any brewing? No. Uh, I was gonna brew last weekend, but life. You know. Yeah. You know how it happens. So I'm hoping this weekend should be fairly full again. So maybe I'll get to brew. <laughs> that, w- that would be awesome. I'm looking to brew within the next uh, week or two as well. Yeah. All right. Um. Well, I guess why don't we taste this beer that we have in front of us? Uh, let's see. What is it? What are we drinking? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll go into it. So, this is a robust porter, or, well, I guess not a robust, a coffee porter that I brewed, uh, two years and a month ago, pretty much to the day, uh, because it was brewed on, uh, 8-28 of 2012, so, yeah. Fair Two years and a month. Uh, and it's, I, I'm a little nervous, because... I wasn't sure how it was going to hold up, and we'll get into that in a bit here. Uh, but recipe-wise, do you want the recipe before you talk about it? Um, no, why don't we? Let, let's talk about it and right. then find out what's Yeah, why, why don't you give me your uh, rep? Okay, so I got some notes here. Uh, the first thing I'd like to say, as far as a two-year-old homebrew, this actually stood stood the test of time decently well, I think, all things considered. Uh, it smells like coffee. I also get kind of a, a, a grain acidity in the aroma as well. Very That light. makes sense. Uh, but it makes sense. It does. Um, there's really no head to speak of, but... Two you know, years. Two years. And you don't coffee really, is going to kill the head, too. Yeah, you wouldn't expect much. Uh, the lacing is there, though. Yeah. Um, uh, the color is perfectly fine. It's dark. It's got... Actually, it almost looks like a really, really dark brown. Did you want some more? Yeah, please. All right. And then uh, the carb seems a little off for me. It comes off as coarse... Uh, if, you know, but that might be the body being a little thin. Yeah. Um, and I'm still trying to decide on whether or not I like this kind of combination with the flavors going on in the beer. Okay. Uh, for the most part, uh, I would personally like to see it a little more girthy, uh, a little thicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, then th- I'd, I'd also like to taste the coffee just a little bit more. 
Yeah, uh, and when it was fresh, you could taste the coffee a lot. Like, there was a lot of coffee. Uh, but that's a flavor that tapers off with time. And so that's that's another thing to keep in mind yep. with coffee flavor. They don't age particularly well. No, and, and if you were going to try and age it, you might as well have made it a stout instead. Yeah. Um, it, it was an unintentional aging. It got pushed to the back of my little cellar, and I found it last week. Well, you know... Not a bad experiment to yeah. just, like, see what happens, and I guess we kind of know what happens. Um, I'm guessing that the negative qualities that found their way into the beer would be uh, the body may have thinned out a little bit, mm-hmm. so it uh, throws off the carbonation feel. The, um, I think the acidity climbed up and the coffee flavor waned. Yes, for sure. Uh but even that, it's like none of these are so dramatic that the beer is undrinkable. This is, I mean, it's a palatable beer still. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't call it much more than a table beer at this point, though. Yeah, no, it's there's it's not nothing super exciting at the moment. No. So why don't you tell us what was in it? All right. Uh, well, it. I believe this was a five gallon batch right here. Yep, a five gallon batch. Back when I was still doing those. Is that uh, a thing anymore? Right. Who does that? Nobody. Nobody. Uh, I did a pound, or uh, I guess here, let's start with this. So I used uh, Brees Two Row as my uh, primary. That was 11, or 11.75 pounds. Then I had a pound and a half of Munich 10. Um, 10 level bond. And then a pound of Crystal 40. Uh, 0.7 pounds of chocolate malt. And half a pound of Black Patent. And then hops, it was, it looks like uh, uh, an ounce and three quarters of EKG at 60 minutes, uh, three quarters of an ounce of Fuggles at 15, and 0.75 ounces of EKG at Flame Out. What then, yeast? Uh, 256, or 1056. Okay. Classic yeast. Yep. Um, uh, and then I put coffee in, uh, use cold-pressed coffee in the fermenter. Or not not in the fermenter, uh, I put it in the bottling bucket right before I bottled. Uh, so you just, like, made coffee, poured it in? Yep. Okay, Cold-pressed cool. coffee. Not not bad. That actually seems, like, really straightforward. Yep. And, of course, Casey with the English hops. Yeah. Right. You, well, they they go they go well with porters. No, it's it's it's, it's, true. it's a good por- It's a good hop for a porter. Yeah, because they they just have like this laid back subtlety to them. Mm-hmm. Kind of what you need in a porter. Um, yeah, I suppose I don't really have much that I'd suggest to change, other than I'd want to try this beer young. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it definitely tasted very different young, very different, and I might have to just brew, rebrew it. To see what what happens, it would be interesting to see um, this particular recipe because I would, uh, as far as I can tell, call it a successful beer. Uh, see different coffee, you know, different ways to put the coffee into the beer, mm-hmm. test it against each other. You know, uh, there's there's so many different ways, and yeah. uh, I guess my my thing about putting it in. Like there, there's there's a definite like risk reward thing. Like you don't get yeah. over extraction if you put it like right when you're bottling or kegging. Yeah. Uh, you don't get over extraction of the beans and stuff like that. But there is a contamination possibility for sure. So you just you just got to be careful. 
And what yeah. I ended up doing is I went and bought a growler of coffee from Caribou, I think. And I just dumped that in. Not, not a bad idea. Yeah. I think... Um, and it had a very strong coffee flavor right off the bat. And it's it's tapered off so much. Like, there's just a hint of it there now. Yeah, like right now, it'd be more appropriate to call it a porter with coffee as opposed to a coffee porter. Yes. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah, I think it d- deserves a rebrew. Yeah, it's it's not a bad beer. It, no. It's a fun style, especially like now that the weather's getting colder. It's something that you can knock back a few pints of. And... Yeah, no, I agree very much so. All right. Well, we had another hangarmanjig to talk about, right? Yeah, we're going to be going. I got another quiz for you. Oh, boy. This one's going to be a little more intense, and I hope you're ready for it. Is it going to be in teepees or wigwams? Lean twos. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Uh, no, uh, for the homebrew quiz this week, we are looking at an in-depth look at mashing, tackling some of the deeper techniques. All right. And I'm assuming that this is probably going to uh, carry over into next week as well. Okay. So I, I, I kind of gave myself a cutoff point. Uh, so feel free as we're going through these to you know really open yourself up to discussion and questions, etc. All right. Et <clears throat> all right. So first of all, before the grain even goes into the mash tun, it needs to be crushed. Why? So the waters and whatnot can get at those delicious, delightful enzymes and sugars and pull them out. Yep, pretty much. Um, Technically, grain could be used without crushing it. Uh, But your extraction would be terrible. Your extraction would just be literally terrible. Um, You're opening up the husk and the grain to allow the water to get into it, and all that more surface area uh, just allows for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, even in the long run, you can talk about the different... uh, coarseness that you crush your grain to get better and worse extraction okay so i mean if you crush it really really refined practically a powder you can get very very good extraction but you wouldn't be able to louder for anything that's why you throw just a bunch of rice hulls in there yes let let you know that would actually be an interesting experiment see if we could actually make that work you would get so much tannin extraction it wouldn't even be funny no okay because well i suppose you 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 would, you would crush up all those holes to a fine dust and there's so much surface area there that you're that's just going to extract everything and you're going to get a very astringent beer all right so maybe we're not going to do that <laughs> unless you unless you could do like i mean you, you could do something that's just completely dehusked like you could do uh, wheat or rye into a super fine powder, I think, and it should be okay. That's that's true. So you could do a uh, a fifty fifty rye wheat beer, which would actually be really interesting. We'll talk. No, but I don't know. It might just turn into a giant dough ball. Probably, but. I well, I mean, there's ways to even Just take a care of that. Big gelatinous mess. Oh, you know, I'll, I'm actually going to think about this. We'll, <laughs> I'll get back to you. Well, I mean, because I, I I brewed the single gallons, I might actually be able to make it work. It okay, might be, it might be messy as all get out, but I yeah. might be able to make it work. All right, all right. What is the next question? What is an enzyme? You just mentioned those as an important thing 
that have to take place. They are a science term that refers to the little uh, grain fairies that do all the work for you. Um, <laughs> they're uh, they're a okay. Uh, so I, I know that uh, they're they're a protein. No, no, no. Enzymes are not a protein. No. Never mind. Go ahead. Uh, okay, so the answer to this question is kind of um, precluding to what the next question is going to be, but an enzyme is a substance produced by a living organism that acts as a catalyst to bring about a specific biochemical reaction. See science fairies. Right? Practically. No, um, basically what it is is they are massive molecules, and they're really only designed to do one thing. Each one only does one thing. And... More often than not, it deals with uh, either putting uh, other molecules together or breaking them apart. Okay. And in this case, the the different enzymes that we care about uh, primarily deal with taking these huge starch structures Mm -hmm. and starting to break them down into the simpler sugars that we both know and love. Okay. All right. And then, so question three is, what are some of the enzymes involved in brewing and what are their purpose? Um, oh man, I don't, I, I don't know. I've dumped enzymes in beer for reasons, but I don't know. Go ahead, Oh, Miles. come on, you've had Stop two me. weeks to prepare. You've known we were talking about Max. How long have you known me? True. <laughs> I don't prepare if I don't have to. Okay, so I do have um a, a decently comprehensive list here. Okay. We'll, we'll go through that. Well, I, I know uh, in, in cidering and stuff like that, we use pectic enzyme to help clear the cider. Yeah. But that's that's really the only enzyme I've actually used. Otherwise, I just know that they're there and they do the things I want them to do. Yep. But pectic enzyme does not actually occur naturally in beer. No, I, I said cider. I, I know. I know. I, I, no, I was... no, it, it does not. Yeah, I okay. add it, and it makes it do things. Yes. Okay, so uh, we have beta-glucanase. Does that sound familiar? Yep. Okay. Beta-glucanase is used in a rest for breaking down unmalted adjuncts. Beta-rest. Yes. And then we have proteases, which make certain barley proteins soluble. So that helps build the body in the head retention. Wow, this is so smart. Right. Uh, Peptidases, uh, they make your free amino acids. We have alkaline. Alpha-glucosidase, which cleaves maltose and others into glucose. So that's going to be one of the big ones that uh, are breaking apart these big chains. Okay. Limit dextrinase, which cleaves dextrins. Beta-amylase, which produces maltose. And alpha-amylase, which produces a, a variety of sugars and dextrins. And so, again, most of these are actually dealing with uh, the starch molecules and breaking them down and, and making your simpler sugars okay. that the yeast like to just go to town on. Makes sense. Yeah. And there's, I think there's at least two or three dozen others, but um, they're not really doing much. They're not considered yeah. the active part of the process here. All right. So, enzymes are a bit touchy with the concentrations they work in. What are the other? What are some of the other conditions that enzymes are picky about when it comes? Temperature. To, temperature is number one. Uh, and you, the thickness of your mash is another one. Concentration. Got two more. Uh, so temperature, concentration, pH. Yes, pH. Ah! Is, pH is another one. 
And what's and... the last one? This this one you might not agree with me too hard on, but it's true. Man, I do love disagreeing with Miles. It's he does it a lot. It's frustrating. Me? Yes. What you, do I do? You always challenge me, which is good. Okay. Um, oh, so you know, I don't know. Uh, time. They need time to do their work. Yeah, sixty minutes, and then we're done. Uh, we well, go. yeah. It's an important thing. It's a very important thing. Yes. I don't. I don't. What? What do I challenge you on this one? With? No. Um, just whether or not it counted. What counted? As a thing that enzymes oh. are touchy about. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think that's the thing they're touchy about. I think they just they can only do work so fast. Yeah. I don't know if that's necessarily something that they're touchy about. Yeah. I think, like the pH, temperature, and concentration, those make sense. Yeah. As you know, defining them as touchy, because if one of those is off, you're not going to even get it to start. Yes. Uh, time is just what you have to do. <laughs> like you have to like if you want it to actually do its thing you have to wait for it to finish okay how about this I included it because it is an important factor you just wanted an even number no because three is prime and I like prime numbers too okay anyways uh, I included it in there uh, because time is an important thing mm-hmm. but if this were a real quiz like I was going to give it to you and grade you on it later it might have been in a different spot it should have been in a different spot. It's not in a different spot. Should have been in a different spot. Alrighty then. Okay. I call bullshit on this quiz. You lose. Darn it. As far as temperature goes, what are the temperatures involved in the mashing oh, process? Oh man. And so um I have ranges and pretty much all of the the steps that could be involved in okay. a mash. All right. Uh there's isn't there like a 100 115 degree rest? Something in there. Yes. Yep. I don't remember what one does it. Well, there's actually two that uh, are right around that, that okay. temperature. Uh, so the first one I have is an acid rest between 95 and 113. Okay. Uh, the next one would be the protein rest, which happens between 113 and 138. Starch conversion happens where? Uh oh, that's at that's between one uh fifty five and one sixty five. Like there's uh, well no yeah, like one one sixty eight one seventy on the upper limit. Well one seventy is probably a little hot. One sixty eight, I guess you could go to. Yeah. Um. Are you, I, well, no, I guess no. It'd be sixty five to about fifty, forty eight. I don't know. There's so many you. It just does it. Well, I mean, uh, different sources will give you different numbers, and the primary reason is because um, it an enzyme isn't exactly something that's either on or off. It's something that you know works or starts to work better or worse, giving yeah. certain conditions, and so you'll find these different reasons because of that, and the optimal range. Depending on who you're talking to, yeah. can vary. Well, and that's that's where you get a like. If they convert everything, you get a thin-bodied beer. If they convert nothing, you get you, you get know. a very thick beer. Yes. Um. So the starch conversion, I have the I have the range at one forty-two to one sixty-two, and part of the reason is because we I have it split up into the beta amylase and the alpha amylase, uh, whichever one is 
primary mm-hmm. within that temperature range. And this is what gives Casey his drier versus sweeter beers. You mean the right beers? Yes. Yep. Uh, so beta amylase is primarily active at 140 to 145, and the alpha amylase between 158 and 162. Okay. And then, uh, you know, fluctuating yep. between the two will give you a different conversation, and that's why you, you can get this nice uh, scroll bar effect between drier and sweeter. Makes sense to me. Absolutely. And the last on one, board. at 168, the mash out. Mash out! Mm-hmm. We should have, like, a soundbite for that. Mash out! Right? Um, yeah, and and we'll... We'll cover a little more uh, in the next question why the mash out is a thing. So, question six. What is step mashing, and why does it only happen in one temperature direction? Uh, Because when... All right, well, step mashing is when you gradually step up the temperature of the mash. Yes. so you'll you'll start you'll start low and then you'll hit all these rests on your way up depending on what rests you want to hit. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, it only goes one way because once you've passed that temp, there ain't no going back. Like that is true. You've you've already you've already uh, gone past the point where those enzymes can do their work, and they are destroyed and done. Yeah. You're not you're not going back. Extra credit. What is the term for destroying a an enzyme. Murder. No. Darn it. They don't actually count as being alive. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Um, it's called denaturing an enzyme. Um, what happens when what happens is when you have an enzyme and you're below the temperature, it just doesn't do anything. It just, it do just it kind anymore. of floats around being useless. And then you would reach the temperature where it starts to be active, and then it kicks itself into gear and it starts doing the thing that it's designed to do. Uh, but when you get too hot, you denature the enzyme, and it actually warps out of shape. Eww. And it and what makes them so neat and unique in the world is that their their chemical makeup actually forces them to be in a very, very specific shape. Mm-hmm. And they can be huge and just massive and intricate. And if you mess with that even just a little bit, you completely destroy its ability to be useful. And then it just ends up being a floating glob. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't do anything anymore. Uh, and so that's why the mash-out is a thing that becomes important. Mash-out's very important. Yes, because it uh, gives you one... Well, why don't you take a moment to... The mash-out uh, stops all of the starch conversion. So you you stop it. Uh, like, if you let it keep going, your your beer is going to be thinner than you want it to be. Yeah. Or, like, you'll just get more conversion than you want. So you, you raise that up. Not too high, mind you. Of course. But, but you raise it up enough to denature those conversion enzymes. See, he's already using new terms. Right? I'm smart. Yep, uh, and that's exactly it. You can use this bit of information to your advantage. Like you said, to stop starch conversion, you denature all of the enzymes, and it doesn't matter what temperature you have it at anymore. They just literally are incapable of doing their job to convert more starch. Yep. So, And uh, that's uh, that's where I had, I had a stop for the day. 
Alrighty, that will be fine. Awesome. Uh, next week we are going to continue and we're going to delve further into PH. Alrighty. Well, if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support us, go ahead and uh, head on over to patreon.com slash studios and become a patron today. Uh, you can watch the video on there and it'll give you more in-depth uh, explanation of what Patreon is. But it's essentially a recurring tip jar where we give you something a little or a little something back. Uh, or if you're going to do any Amazon shopping, go to bindingstudios.com and click on the Amazon link at the bottom of the homepage. That'll bring you to Amazon, do your regular shopping, and Amazon gives us a little kickback of what you purchase. If you have any uh, show show idea requests or you want us to taste your homebrew, uh, go ahead and send those to feedback at blindnewstudios.com. Or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash blindnewstudios or follow us on Twitter at blind underscore ninja. And I'll see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>